0: Hello everyone and welcome back. So for the next half of this um, webinar, we have got um, discussions about the DVLA and a cancer overview. So first of all, we've got Dr. Sarah Brown and she's going to talk to us about the DVLA and a drive through the basics. Some of you may recognise her. She trained in Southampton many moons ago, but she now lives in Wales. So I think you will all recognize that um, DVLA issues can cause lots of um, conundrums and difficulty around fitness to drive and um, sort of questions that we are posed as GPs. And um, Sarah previously worked as a GP partner for many years. So I think you'll agree that she's well placed to know the issues that we are faced with. So thank you, Sarah, and over to you.
1: Thank you, Camilla. Um, Right, I've just got to share my screen. I'm a bit not very IT savvy, so
2: hopefully that's working. Yep, that's all good. Lovely
1: so yeah so I've been at the DVLA for just over three years and prior to that I was a GP partner for 10 years and um, I was in Southampton Uni and qualified in 2000 which is now two decades ago so quite a long time. (laughs) So um, today I'm going to talk to you a bit about the DVLA so what I want to do is just raise some awareness about DVLA and the medical standards. I'll discuss the different types of licenses and the legal basis of the standards and then I'll go through some examples of medical cases and I'll conclude then with how to contact uh, us at the DVLA and how to access Assessing Fitness to Drive. So firstly looking at the different types of licenses there's the group one license which is your car license and there's over 48 million of those licenses in the UK and then there's the group two license or the vocational driver the bus and lorry driver and there's 1.2 million The DVLA is based in Swansea and in part there's a department for Drivers Medical, quite a large department, we've got 660 staff which includes 39 doctors and eight nurses. Of the group one or the car licenses around four percent of license holders are known to Drivers Medical so that's about just over two million licenses. It's thought that there's probably about that much again that we aren't aware of When we look at how busy the department is, last year we made over three-quarters of a million licensing decisions of which just under 10% were a refusal or a revocation. We had just over 170,000 notifications of new medical conditions and we had 435 appeal summons. If you think to driving, um, it's it's quite a complex task but it's an overlearnt task. So when you think about when you first got in the car and started to learn to drive, you had to think about every little action. So putting the car in gear, how much pressure to put on the pedals, how to do the steering. But with time that became automatic, but you still need to read the road around you and vary your driving style accordingly. When you think of a person with a condition such as dementia, it tends to be the higher um, tasks that get lost first. So they may be okay driving to the shops um, every week, but the week that there's a diversion in place, that's when they tend to run into trouble. I need things quite basic. So when we look at the conditions that affect driving, it's basically two types of categories. There's conditions that have a risk of a sudden and disabling event. And these are conditions such as seizures, blackouts, hyperglycemia and diabetics, cardiac arrhythmias. The standards are set that a risk of a sudden and disabling event for a car driver of up to 20% a year is allowable. For a bus or lorry driver, that risk is only allowed up to 2%, and that's because of the size and weight of the vehicle they're driving and the, the time that they tend to spend behind the wheel. The other conditions that tend to affect driving are those that impair safe handling of a vehicle. So that could be a physical disability, visual conditions, cognitive conditions, alcohol and drug misuse. As I said, there's a legal basis for the standards of assessing fitness to drive, and that's from the Road Traffic Act, the Motor Vehicles Regulation and the EC Directive. And basically what the law does is it gives the power to the Secretary of State for Transport, who in essence is the DVLA and that gives the power to investigate um, a a driver who may have a medical condition that affects safe driving, gives the power to refuse or revoke a licence, gives the power then to restrict a licence either for a medical review or to a particular type of vehicle, and it also gives the customer um, the right to appeal. I think it's important to note that the law actually makes a duty of the driver to notify the DVLA if they've got a medical condition that might affect safe driving. When we're looking at the conditions what we're looking for is whether someone has a likely relevant disability and a relevant disability is any medical condition that is likely to render the individual a source of danger on the roads. If by, from our inquiries somebody does have a likely relevant disability then we refuse or revoke their license. We also then look at a progressive disability. Sorry, prospective disability. A prospective disability is a medical condition that isn't currently a relevant disability, but with time, because of the progressive or the intermittent nature, may in time become a relevant disability. And then we, in those situations, we give a medical review license. So that would be um, conditions such as Parkinson's um, dementia. The medical standards, um, there's six panels of experts that meet twice a year and the panels are neurology, cardiology, diabetes, psychiatry, substance misuse and vision. The panels meet and they discuss the standards and then this is updated. Assessing Fitness to Drive is a live document, so it's accessed by the web and it's updated usually at least twice a year following the panel's meeting. I'd always encourage you to access via the website rather than printing it off so you know you've always got the up-to-date version. So I'm gonna run through some cases. Hopefully you've got a pen and paper just to jot down some ideas. So first of all, we've got a gentleman who suffered a stroke five weeks ago. Um, When he was admitted, he had right-sided weakness. He's been having some physiotherapy and his weakness has got better. He tends to see you for a review and to ask about returning to work. And then he asks you the magic questions, Doc can I drive my car? So I'm just going to give you a minute and I just want you to think about what residual symptoms with stroke are relevant for driving, when do DVLA need to be notified if someone's had a stroke and do TIAs require
2: notification to to DVLA? So if I just give you a minute to think about those. Okay, so if I just run through that, Um, I'm going to run through TIAs first.
1: So if somebody has a solitary TIA, they should be advised not to drive for a month, but they don't need to notify the DVLA. If someone has multiple TIAs over a short period, then again they must not drive, but this now increases up to three months and they also must notify the DVLA. If somebody has a stroke, again, it's they must not drive for a month and then it depends on neurological deficit a month. So if their symptoms have resolved and there's no residual neurological deficit, then DVLA don't need to be advised. But if there is deficit, then we do need to be notified. The bits in particular that we would be looking at would be visual field defect, cognitive deficits and impaired limb function. With visual field defect, if someone's got suspicion of that or they're known to have that, then DVLA can arrange um, independent visual field testing. Cognitive deficits, again it's looking at whether that's to a level that would impair safe driving and I'll come to that in a little bit because we've got a case on dementia. With impaired limb function, um, again it's it's looking at adaptations that may be available. So there's driving assessments. Again, I'll, I'll discuss those a bit later. Um, but if someone's got residual, limb, residual weakness, there may be adaptations that they can drive a, a, an adapted car. All of that's for a car driver. If somebody's a bus or lorry driver, whether it's a TIA or a stroke, it's a year off driving, they must notify us. And then on reapplication, we do inquiries. So second case, um, we've got a young lady who comes in that she's had a funny episode in work, she wasn't sure what happened but she thinks she might have blacked out. So with this situation, what I want you to just jot down again, I'll give you a minute to do it, is when you're looking at blackouts and pre-syncopy, how do you assess regarding driving? And although not linked to this one, I think dizziness is also a common topic in general practice. Um, with dizziness, what features are relevant for driving? So, again, if I just
2: give you a few seconds to think about that. Okay, so with blackouts, what we're looking at is the likely cause and whether it's a
1: one-off episode or whether there's been recurrent episodes. In the case of a vasovagal syncope, um, we'd then be looking at what we call the three P's, so that's position, prodrome and provocation. So with position, did it occur when sitting or standing? We'd be more worried if it was when sitting. Prodrome, did they have adequate warning that if it were to occur they'd be able to safely pull over if they were driving? And provocation, has there been a trigger to it that is something that they can avoid when driving? As I said, I just thought I'd touch on dizziness as well, so if you have somebody who comes in with dizziness, with driving you want to think about is it disabling, so would they be able to safely control the car when they're having the dizziness? If it is disabling, then is it sudden? And again, that comes down to the warning. So would they have warning that would be sufficient to take safe action if it were to occur when driving? If the answer is yes to sudden and disabling, then they should should be advised not to drive and notify the DVLA. So back to our scenario. Um, So we've now got a collateral history from her work colleague that they were sitting in a meeting room, chatting, and suddenly she became pale and slumped in the chair. She was out for a couple of minutes and then took about five minutes to get back to normal. If we look at the three P's here, so the posture, she was sitting, prodrome, it's sudden that she went pale and slumped in the chair. So that would not be sufficient to take safe evasive action if driving and provocation, there doesn't seem to have been any trigger um, from the history we've got there examination is normal and a decision is made to refer her to cardiology for investigations of of what caused the episode. When we look at the standards in assessing fitness to drive for syncope and presyncope they're put into sections so the categories are typical vasovagal syncope, syncope with avoidable trigger or otherwise reversible cause, unexplained syncope which includes syncope without reliable prodrome, cardiovascular, excluding typical vasovagal syncope, blackout with seizure markers, and cough syncope. And in those categories, there's whether it's a one-off episode or recurrent, and whether the person is a car driver or a bus lorry driver. So in this scenario, um, she's had a one-off episode of blackout, we don't know the cause, um, and there wasn't reliable prodrome, so for that it would be six months off driving. If she was a bus or lorry driver, it would be longer. It's worthwhile mentioning that if she does have investigations and in the likely causes found and that can be treated to reduce the risk of recurrence, then she may be able to apply, reapply earlier and Degelay is always willing to review in that situation. So. We move on to the third case. So you've got a gentleman coming in for his hypertension review. You notice he smells of alcohol. Um, On his previous problem list, he's had an alcohol withdrawal seizure in 2018. You ask him and he admits to drinking eight cans of lager a day and sometimes has a drink to steady his nerves. I'm not making you do any questions on this one, giving you a one off. When we look at the standards in DVLA for alcohol problems, um, they come under two categories. So there's persistent alcohol misuse and alcohol dependence. It's a clinical diagnosis and there's a guide to the definition in assessing fitness to drive. And that's also sent out with the paperwork we ask doctors to complete regarding alcohol problems. The, the markers that DVLA would consider are highly suggestive of dependence would be an alcohol withdrawal fit, a medical detoxification, or drinking over 100 units a week. When we're looking at these cases, it's not just the information from yourselves that we make the decision on, it's, it's a three pronged approach. So we look at the customer's individual self declaration and problems that they admit to having. We look then at the information from the clinician about the diagnosis and whether that's controlled. And then thirdly, we also arrange an independent examination with a doctor, which includes a blood test called CDT. CDT or carbohydrate deficient transferrin is quite a specific marker and it gives a reflection of the alcohol intake in the previous couple of weeks. The standards then, um, for persistent alcohol misuse, for the car driver, six months control is required. And for a bus or lorry driver, it's 12 months. And control for persistent alcohol misuse is defined either as abstinence or controlled drinking, which is drinking within the government recommended health guidelines. For alcohol dependence, the, the standards are a lot stricter and that's because of the higher rate of relapse. So for the car driver, we'd require one year of control. And for the group two driver, that goes up to three years. And control is defined as abstinence in in this situation. If we think back to the original scenario, we've got a gentleman who's had a previous withdrawal fit. He said he's drinking eight cans of lager a day. So that's likely to be over hundred units a week. Um, And he's also having an early morning drink at times. So I think most people would agree that's likely dependence and he'd need a year of abstinence before he could meet the standards. So fourth case now, so we've got a 77 year old lady who's known to have dementia. Her daughter calls you and says that she's worried she's she's deteriorating and she recently became lost on the new diversion. Looking through her records, you see she was seen in the memory clinic six months ago and her ACE score was mildly impaired at 76 over 100 and they documented at that time there was no concerns with driving. So just again, want you to think about a couple of things for a minute. So firstly, does the DVLA need notification of patients who've
2: got dementia? And secondly, how do you assess driving in people with dementia? So firstly,
1: yes, DBLA do need to be notified if someone has dementia. Um, We do inquiries for people with a car driver, for a bus or lorry driver, um, a diagnosis of dementia is not compatible with that type of license. How to assess people driving with dementia can be very difficult, and that's due to the varied presentation and rates of progression. Um, There should be areas that would raise concerns. So if there's significant memory impairment, hesitancy, impaired attention or disorientation, if there's personality changes, particularly with aggression or impulsiveness, confusion that can lead to lack of awareness and lack of insight that people do not understand, appreciate the dangers when driving. I think if family raise concerns about driving in someone with dementia, then then that should be taken seriously. When it's difficult to decide, um, then we do have the option of a driving assessment. So I'm just gonna run through what a driving assessment is. Um, They're done by an advanced driving instructor and occupational therapist and the centres all across the, the country. It comes in four parts, but not all four parts are necessarily done in each driving assessment. There's a cognitive tabletop test where they do tests that assess different parts of memory and how that may impact on driving. There's a physical assessment, so that looks um, at somebody's ability to be able to control the car. So if we think back to the case with the stroke, if he still had right sided weakness, um, that then they could give advice about hand controls or whether he needed a, a right foot um, accelerator um, or whether he did have sufficient strength to be able to drive a, a, a standard manual car. There's the static rig, um, so this tests, tests reaction times they're not currently being done, Use that part used at the moment because of coronavirus, and then there's the on-road driving assessment which starts with familiarisation to the car, starting on some quiet roads and then gradually increasing the complexity of the roads to include dual carriageways and complex roundabouts. As I said the the driving assessments are all around the country and there's a website where you can access your local one. Um, At the end I'll provide a list of all the links to the useful website so that you can just easily click on those but in Wessex, there's Wessex Drivability, their their main centres in Southampton but they do have some satellite centres. I know they've got one in the Isle of Wight, Salisbury and Ferndown. So back to our, to our case, um, the DVLA sends her for a driving assessment. The tabletop tests, there's impairment seen in visuospatial, she had difficulty doing the clock face and copying a, a diagram of a cube. There was d- deficits in att- attention and concentration, she struggled to remain on topic and there's a repeated tap test that she, she struggled with as well. And generally she was slower to complete the tasks which showed a slower speed of processing. On road this was seen that her road position was poor, she was slow to react to all the road users and the road conditions and she found it she was unable to independently follow road signs so a decision was made to, to revoke her licence. So I'm just briefly going to touch on seizure and about notifying DVLA as well. So we've got a case here of a 35 year old gentleman who attends for a medication review. He's been seen by a neurologist the previous month in the first fit clinic following a fit the month before that where he attended A&E. And and he has been advised not to drive on the A&E letter and by the neurologist as well. His CT that he had on admission showed an area of gliosis which was thought to be from a traumatic brain injury in his twenties and the neurologist has started him on some anti-epilepsy medication. You deal with your consultation and then afterwards you're in reception and you see him driving out of the car park. So first of all, just to touch quickly on the the seizure standards. So a a one-off seizure in a car driver is at least six months off driving. Um, that increases up to 12 months if there's clinical factors that may increase um, further risk. If someone's had multiple seizures or epilepsy, then it's uh, a year off driving. For the bus lorry driver, as you'd expect, they're, they're much higher standards and it's five to ten years off driving and the time must be seizure free and not being on anti-epilepsy medication. So. In this situation, we've got a gentleman who's had a fit. There's an underlying causative factor, so he's going to need the twelve months off driving. But he, we know he's been advised not to drive, and we've seen him driving out of the car park. This is when you need to think about whether you need to notify the DVLA. The GMC guidance um, has quite clear um, stand advice on how to do this and when to do this. And there's also obviously the opportunity to discuss with your medical defense organization. If you're in this situation, we'd advise referring to GMC guidance, possibly discussing with a, with a colleague as well, and obviously documenting in his records and then if notifying the DVLA, um, the easiest way to do it is by email which is medadvisor at dvla.gov.uk you can do it by post as well but I'd say email is probably the the easiest way. I'm just going to touch on section 88 because it's something that we get get asked a a bit about. Um, So what is section 88? Is part of the Road Traffic Act, and what it allows is if somebody is renewing or reapplying after voluntarily surrendering their license, um, that they may be able to drive during medical inquiries, but they need to assure themselves that they are likely to meet this. It does not apply if a license has been previously revoked or refused, and in that situation, the individual has to wait to, to the end of medical inquiries. So you may get people coming in saying to you, can I drive? Um, In this situation, what we'd advise is to refer to the standards in assessing fitness to drive and advise the patient of the likely outcome. If you're looking at that and you see you're not sure, so say it's a person with dementia, but you're not sure if they're they're fit to drive, then in that situation, it's best to err on the side of caution and advise them to await conclusion of the medical inquiries. So how to apply DVLA guidance? First of all is know it exists, so hopefully if you weren't aware of it, I've made you aware of it. Know where to find it, so there's a website link there but I'll show you an easy way to access it. And Third of all, ask a friend, so if you've got any queries, whether it's about specific patients, whether it's general inquiries, um, then you can email um, us for advice, um, it can be done anonymously so that you're not giving the patient details if you just want to discuss generally about it. How to contact us? Um, the email address is medadvisor at dvla.gov.uk um, You can also send letters in the post to medical advisor um, at the DVLA, um, there's a fax number And there is phone, but that's not currently available due to the the COVID-19 crisis. Um, you can sign up for email alerts. So with Assessing Fitness to Drive, as it is um, updated at least twice a year, if you sign up for the alerts, you get an email each time there is an update. And then I'm just going to show you an easy way to access Assessing Fitness to Drive. um, And then after that, take some questions. So,
2: just need to sh- share a different screen. So, hopefully, I've got Google browser
1: up on there. So, if you put in, the easiest way is just to put "assessing fitness to drive" into Google. And then it will take you to the government website so gov.uk assessing fitness to drive and then on here so this is where you can sign up for the email alerts if i just show you that you just put your email address in um, and then as i say well you'll get automatic updates when when there's a new update to assessing fitness to drive and then this is the live document then So, very. it's got all the information I've gone through today is all in here, so if we think of, let's look at the alcohol, so you can go through and just click. So this is, and I say there's the definition, guide to the definition of the standards, and then it goes through what the standards are. Another way of doing it is
2: searching. Do that. So this is from the individual that had the
1: case with a stroke, so you can look this up and it goes through stroke, TIA, and it advises you when you need to notify it and what to look at. And then if I just go back to the top, so with then the driving centres, so if I just click down here and this links you to the website to, for finding a driving centre, and then you can just put in your postcode, but that there shows you where all the assessment centres are. I, I meant to say driving assessments, they can be arranged by the individuals themselves,
2: by the clinicians, or, or by the DVLA. There we go. So if I hopefully stop share and take any questions. Fantastic.
0: Thank you, Sarah. That was a really comprehensive overview and has um, answered a lot of my questions. Um, Just to clarify, you can take your driving licence at the age of 17 and then you don't need to have any further assessments until the day you die.
1: Is that correct? So you, you get your driving, you apply for your driving licence, you can apply at 17. And then for a car driver from the age of 70, you need to renew it every three years, um, which is a self-declaration form. Um, so you can declare any medical conditions on that. You don't have to retake a test. For a bus or lorry driver, um, you have to renew that every five years from the age of 45, and then it's every year from the age of 65. And again the self-declaration that there's also the D4 form which needs to be completed either by the GP or an occupational health doctor. Great thank
0: you and and am I right in thinking that the law states that the duty it's the duty of the driver to notify the DVLA so if people have medical conditions it's our duty to tell them that they probably need to um, notify the DVLA but it's not our responsibility
1: no, it's, it is the, the driver themselves that should be notifying. Obviously they need to be aware that they need to notify and that's where obviously we need clinicians to be telling them. Um, but obviously if you if you get to the situation where you've advised somebody, they're not following advice and they're driving, and, and with the case with the epilepsy, you know they shouldn't, that's when you need to think about, as I say, the GMC guidance on breaking confidentiality then
0: fantastic and i hope that as you said you would link that gmc guidance at the end because i think that's obviously a difficult situation we need sort of to make sure that we do it appropriately and that we're not breaking trust and and other things with our patients so um so if you need to break confidentiality and notify the dvla if people aren't adhering to the rules and we think they're at risk to um the you know other people then we need to refer to the DVLA, notify the DVLA, do we also need to notify the police for example?
1: So if you know some, when we get notifications from doctors, obviously sometimes they may have notified and their license may have already been revoked but you're not aware of it um, or they may not have covered to drive anyway and we then refer to what's called the police liaison unit in DVLA so they then link to the local police force um, who will remind the person go to the person's address and remind them that they don't have entitlement to drive um, so we can do that obviously yourselves you can contact the police your local police directly as well if you're aware that there is obviously a, a, a safety concern and
0: out of interest how quickly does that happen if we are concerned someone's driven out of our surgery will it happen within days weeks
1: if you if you contact the police is that sorry if we contact the DVLA contact to us. So if you, that's why I say the Med Advisor emails the best. So the Med at DVLA.gov.uk. Um, there's one doctor each day that's covering that. And if we see something that we is that road safety risk, it should be acted on that day, the next day. So yes, it is very quick.
0: Fantastic. And if um, people have got a, a duty to notify the DVLA themselves, if they're not computer literate, I know on the DVLA page there is a section for medical professionals but it would be worth advising our patients about the section that is for general public because I think they can notify through that, is that correct?
1: Yeah so you can notify, patients can notify online um, for those who ha- have IT issues or um, literacy issues there is also a phone line and um, so there's a there's a help desk DVLA phone line that's for um, drivers and um, not not for health professional well, you could phone it as a health professional but you best to contact the doctors um, but there is so um, drivers can contact that for advice.
0: Fantastic and if, if family and friends have concerns
1: what, what advice would we give them? So we people can do third party notifications to the DVLA and those are kept anonymous so again if you've got a situation where you, say the dementia lady but you weren't too concerned at that point you could get the relatives to to notify. Um, we also receive notifications from the police so if somebody's involved in an accident or there's been an incident and they think there's a medical condition that may affect driving the police can notify us and that can start inquiries as well.
0: Okay thank you. Um, the um... With the dementia patients, once re- they are all obliged to self-refer, if they are able to carry on driving, how, long, how, how often would they be reassessed because it's a progressive condition?
1: So with a dementia case, we would normally give that person a one-year medical review licence. That's the shortest we, we can give, and then each year they'd need to reapply for their licence, and then we'd make inquiries to see if they're still considered fit to drive.
0: Brilliant and can you talk a bit more about accessing the driving assessment, do you know if there's a cost to the public if they go directly and how much that is and um, and, and how could they access it through the DVLA if they didn't want to pay?
1: So as I say it can be accessed three ways, so people can self-refer, clinicians can refer and DVLA can refer. Um, The costs actually vary in the different assessment centres um, so it depends on which assessment centre the the person goes to. Um, I think it's around 100 to 150 pounds for somebody to self refer. It is a bit less than that if the clinician if a clinician refers, they, the patient still has to pay. Um, if, if Dvla arrange them, then that cost is covered by the by the government then.
0: Okay, so if we want someone to be assessed and they haven't got the means to pay for it, the way into that would be to email the DVLA with our concerns and then you would organise the driving assessment if appropriate.
1: So if they've got a medical condition that you think might be affecting their their driving, um, then yes, if if you notified the DVLA of the medical condition um, and if you thought they need you know on that notification if you thought that they needed a driving assessment um, then that would be looked at um, by by us at the DLA. And
0: equally if the friends or family are concerned they can also highlight that as well I presume in in an anonymous way through the third party notification.
1: Yeah, so when when we're looking at sort of dementia cases, often we're looking at how their activity of daily living is affected um, and the different aspects of their memory. So not everybody will need a driving assessment and we can make decisions on the, the clinical information, um, but those difficult ones where it's in, you're, we're not sure that's where a driving assessment's helpful. But yes, if a relative has got concerns, then they can report anonymously to the to the DVLA and on my um, bit, I'll put the, the link up for the third party notifications.
0: Thank you. So someone has written that they're not sure how to assess the risk of seizure per year.
1: So when we look at the standard, so if somebody's got epilepsy or they've had a seizure, then they would, as I say, with epilepsy, they'd need to be 12 months free of seizures. And once they're 12 months free of seizures, for a car this is, then we would normally be licensing. Where we're looking at prospective seizure risk would be probably that we'd be going to a neurologist rather than a GP. So times that that would be is if someone's had a significant head injury, but they're a bus lorry driver and because the time off driving then is about two to five years, but we need their risk to be assessed as less than 2%. That's not something, I would have done as a GP and that's not something that most GPs would be able to answer, that would be something for a neurologist to answer. But for the general sort of seizure risk if someone's got epilepsy, once they've passed the 12, the 12 months is put there because that's what's deemed to be at that point less than 20%, if that makes Thank sense. So, so, <laughs> so,
0: so the the percentage risk is really how they make the guidelines rather than what we're trying to
1: assess? Yeah, so occasionally we'll ask clinicians, but that, as I say, that tends to be quite specialist neurological conditions or to cardiologists for cardiac conditions and more for your bus lorry drivers. But the, as I say, the standards for seizures um, and for blackouts, they're there. They've been done that that risk is thought to be less than 20% at that time.
0: Lovely, thank you. And someone has asked about alcohol. If we feel someone should not be driving, do we need to report? And I think you did cover that. And absolutely yes. And then we would be relating to the GMC guidance on how to break confidentiality.
1: Yeah, and again, so, so that would be the same as the, the case with the seizure. So again, it's the person's duty to notify. Obviously, we know that not everybody does as they're told. And that's when, if there's a risk to public safety, that's when you need to be consulting the GMC guidance.
0: Thank you, um, so someone has said, I worry about explaining hypoglycemia risk and sulfon urea used in diabetes. Can you expand on what the standards for patients are? So about diabetes and testing in type one and type two and the
1: ureas. So again, it varies a bit sort of with the, the, the card license and the, the bus and lorry license. Um, If somebody is, if I talk about car licenses, people who are diabetic on insulin need to notify the DVLA um, and we check their licenses every three years normally. People who are on sulfonylureas, um, they should be advised that they should be testing their blood sugars at times relevant to driving and they should notify DVLA if they have um, problems with low blood sugar. for your car driver on a sulfonylurea who's not having any problems, they should be monitoring but they don't need to notify DVLA. Different for a or um, lorry driver, we need to know, as I say, for insulin, we need to know for all diabetics um, other than diet controlled.
0: Thank you, so that's why it's important to prescribe the testing blood monitor sticks for the type 2 that are on the sulfonylureas if they're still driving.
2: Yes, yeah.
0: Thank you. And I think the important thing is having a hypo that is not non symptomatic, isn't it? Is that a. um...
1: Yeah, so we look at um, severe hypos, and a severe hypo is defined as an episode of hypoglycemia where you need assistance from another person. Um, And if somebody's getting hypos, but they're getting adequate warning that they can take safe action, um, then we wouldn't be too concerned.
0: Thank you. And Graham Phillips is asked about sleep apnea um, and, and sleep. I want. I think that is that covered on the um, guidelines,
1: yeah, So there's um, it comes under excessive sleepiness. So it's excessive sleepiness due to a medical condition. Um, and if somebody's got excessive sleepiness due to a medical condition, they should be advised not to drive and to notify us, um, particularly if it's moderate or severe sleep apnea. Thank you. And um, someone has asked about the tests
0: involved in assessing um, alcohol misuse or dependence, and the blood test involved. Are they covered by the DVLA, or are there extra costs to patients?
1: So it's a slightly depends situation. So if somebody is reapplying for their licence from if they've been a court banned for drink driving twice in ten years or they've had a court ban and they've been more than two and a half times the legal limit then they have to they're disqualified by the court and they have to reapply for their license and we go through a check with them so we send them for the blood test and they have to pay to reapply for their license so in those situations there is a cost to the individual if it's If they're then on a renew license or it's the first time, you know, they've notified us or you've notified us of alcohol problems, there isn't a cost to the patient then. It's only if they're reapplying having been disqualified. Fantastic,
0: thank you. Well, I I think that's a really comprehensive overview and I've really enjoyed that. And I think um, my take home message would be to put the Fitness to Drive um, link in my toolbox as my favorite so that I can easily access it. And I would also put the link to the fitness to drive for um, my patients so that I can copy and send it through AccuRx or advise them to have a look at it if they have got medical conditions so that they can be informed of how to easily inform the DVLA of any problems. Um, I sort of feel reassured that it is the duty of the driver to notify the DVLA and we only need to notify if they are unwilling or not doing that. I think um, having um, the reassurance of the um, driving assessment, I wasn't really appreciative of how accessible that was, but that is good to know about and tell patients or um, ask relatives to do third party referral if they're concerned about driving so that that can be investigated further and hopefully funded by the DVLA if there's an issue. Um, I I, I appreciate that dementia patients all need to be referred to the DVLA or self-notify um, and I've sort of on my radar now got the sort of alcohol syndrome and misuses as something that I need to encourage them to ensure that they are actioning on although that's a bit more of a tricky one.
2: Mm.
1: I'd, say, I'd say all the all the different medical conditions are in assessing fitness to drive so it's as they say any condition you come across and you think oh do they need to notify do i need to do anything if you go on to assessing fitness to drive there's the advice there if it's not clear you're not sure it's not on there um then please contact us um as i say medadvisor at dvla.gov.uk is the easiest and i'll I'll send a link to all those um i'll send all those links that's what i meant to say (laughs)
0: that would be brilliant because because i think it is really about deflecting the the sort of the, the, the work of this onto the patient to say it's your responsibility and linking them to the right website and saying you need to see if you, your medical criteria fulfill the fitness to drive and it's your responsibility to refer appropriately and notify if there's any queries. But, um, so thank you very much that has been brilliant that has made me feel a lot more confident in that area and um, I will look forward to all those links that you're going to send through and we will put them on the LMC educational page where the videos will be held so that people can link to them at a later date as well. Well,
1: Thank you and thank you for, for listening.